0: Welcome to Bounce Back Stronger, the podcast that explores ways to find peace and purpose after difficulty. I'm your host, Donna Ferris, and today we have a guest who is an expert in helping others tell their stories of triumph. Author, editor, and book coach, Melanie Vothal. A little about Melanie. Melanie has been a full-time professional book author, ghostwriter, editor, and book coach for over two decades, specializing in self-help books, memoirs, and book proposals. With an impressive portfolio that spans 39 nonfiction books as an author or ghostwriter, and an additional 75 plus edited works, her expertise is a beacon for those seeking to share their narratives of resilience. Her work has graced the New York Times bestseller list, earning her more than 50 awards along the way. And you've likely come across her impactful words published by houses such as Macmillan, Hay House, and Penguin Random House. Thank you so much for joining us, Melanie. I'm looking so forward to learning from you today. Thanks, Donna. It's so good to be with you. And I have to say, Melanie served as my developmental editor for Bounce Back Stronger, which is going to be released soon. You were an absolute joy to work with. Thank um, you. I'm I, so glad. Melanie, maybe take a second to talk about that process. Yeah, there are lots of different
1: kinds of editing, and it gets very confusing. And it gets even more confusing because the names of those different kinds of editing are not standardized across the industry. So people will use different names for them. Developmental editing is also sometimes called book doctoring, substantive editing. I think there's another title. I like (laughs) developmental because it isn't just about going in and fixing the commas and the misspellings and things like that. It's looking at the structure of the whole book and making sure that it's holding together. And I find that when people write a book, they forget about structure, and it becomes the hardest thing for people to do if they've never done it before. It can get very complicated. How do you order it? What stays in? What comes out? Even just ordering the material within a chapter can get really complicated. So developmental editing is really looking at the big picture. I also do the minutiae, as well. When I developmentally edit, some people don't. Some people only do the stuff and then they leave the minutiae to somebody else. I'm one of those anal retentive people. (laughs) So I like to go in and just make sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, literally and figuratively, to make sure that the book is really ready to go out into the world. And hopefully, whether even if it's being self-published, hopefully good enough to compete with Penguin Random House and Hay House and all of those others. So that's in a nutshell what developmental editing is.
0: Yes. And I would say to everyone who's listening, who's thinking about writing a book, it's worth every penny. This is the one, right? This is the place I think, and I tell people in my writing classes, this is the place to spend the money because you want your book to be readable. You want your book to stand up. This is the best money spent so you don't get embarrassed. It's like, it's my favorite money to spend (laughs) in this process. I agree.
1: I always tell people, if you're going to self-publish a book, spend your money on either your ghostwriter or editor to make sure the product is good and then spend it on the marketing. The rest you can do fairly economically, but those things you really should not penny pinch any more than you absolutely have to. I know not everybody has a budget for a big time editor or ghostwriter or whatever they need, but save your
0: pennies if you can to get somebody good. And you are. So thank Thank you for that. (laughs) We talked a little bit now about how you work with authors. How have you seen, I mean, you worked with quite a few really impactful authors. How have you seen the art of writing transform them and transform the readers? As far as readers go, I don't get a lot of opportunity to talk to them after the fact.
1: Once I finish a book, it's kind of like birthing a baby and then sending them off to college. They're all (laughs) off doing their life. Every once in a while you hear something really good, you know, or they'll give you a call and tell you, I won this award or whatever, you know, and you find out, or occasionally you get to talk to people, or you know, I'll go back and I'll read the reviews on Amazon or something. Oh, good. Uh, and oh, that's, that's awesome. very helpful to see how something is landing on people. But certainly when I work with authors, I get to experience firsthand the transformational experience that they're having during the course of the writing. And I think it's true for both self-help and memoir, there's a quote, can't remember who said it, but something to the, it may have been Gloria Steinem, something like that, but something to the effect that the final stage of healing is in sharing Mm. your experience with others. And I think that's very, very true. So whether it's a self-help book or a memoir, in either instance, people go through a lot and it varies, but it can be somewhat harrowing at times It's a bit like going through therapy, especially with a memoir. I think people have a lot more insights about their life during the course of writing the book than they expected. They'll see patterns that they didn't see before. I think when you write self-help, there's this deep sense of obligation to get it right, for other people so that they can use it in the way that you want them to use it, that you want so deeply to help somebody else experience what you did because you've come out of something difficult and you come out on the other side and you know how valuable that is. You know how vital it is and you want others to have it and to not get stuck in that place. There's a lot of anxiety that comes up during the course of writing a book, that can be difficult. Part of my job when I work with people is to try to bring that down a little bit, try to help them understand that, yes, it's good. Trust me. I know I've written a lot of these books. I've put them in front of publishers. They have fed back to me that it's good. So I feel like I have a good sense of what's good. And so I try to reassure people that, yes, what they're putting out there is going to be helpful Even if it helps one person, it's enough, right? So, But I also tell people, even if you aren't sure if the book is going to go anywhere, the process of writing it is so transformative personally that it almost doesn't matter. It's like if you paint, you never have a gallery showing. It gives you something, right? I think writing does that for us. And the process of getting it out and sharing it is something that therapeutically
0: we just need, Right. Transformation of energy of sorts. I mean, that's how I I've seen it anyway. Yeah, there's something about somebody else witnessing it that we need. And a lot of times, you don't know what you've written until someone else reads it. At least, there's certain things like in my memoir that was very interesting. The feedback was hearing. What people you know gravitated toward, or the way they read into something, or who they really liked the most. I mean, there's just a lot of interesting things that you don't really realize you've written, the care that you've taken with certain people, and it's just really interesting to to get that feedback. I think it it helps us. As we were talking originally about my book, my tagline was going to be reshaping the stories of our lives, and you rightly said I don't think anybody realizes that they need to do that, so I don't think we should make it the tagline, but that's actually <laughs> what you do in the course of reading a self-help book, you are looking at your life in comparison to what's in the book and reshaping how you look at things, hopefully reframing your life a bit. And that's a really healing process.
1: Absolutely. I think it's fascinating to get feedback from other people and then suddenly have a new insight about yourself. An amazing benefit of writing a book like this.
0: I uh, attribute my sobriety to a beta reader of my first book. I had not copped to having a drinking problem. And I don't know if I really realized I had it, Until uh, Beta Rita said to me, I thought you would write more about your drinking problem. And I was like, I don't think, (laughs) I just didn't say anything. I I actually, I couldn't say anything. I couldn't deny it. I said, well, that's good feedback. I should do that. (laughs) And then I was like, wait a minute. I need to put that in the book. And I didn't Mm. become sober until after that. Like It was in that editing process. Yeah. So I think memoir in particular can give you that. The other one I got was uh, on my weight. Loss, you know, the weight struggles I've had over decades. It showed up a little bit in the book, but I didn't want to really spend a lot of time there because it could be another whole book. But people were annoyed with that. They were like, why aren't you talking about it? Mm. So, yeah, it's interesting what people give you feedback on. And I I assume that you would see that with the authors that you worked with too, and they have to decide what to keep in and take out. I mean, is there any suggestions you have on what people should focus on in their books? Is it everything? And then you do the kill your darlings or whatever they call it? Yes, I talk about killing your darlings a lot it really varies. You know, there's
1: there's no blanket statement that I can say about what should stay in and what should stay out. But one thing that I do preach all the time is that you have to stay laser focused on your topic, especially if you're writing self-help. And even mm-hmm. if you're writing a memoir, a lot of people don't realize that memoir and autobiography are not the same thing. An mm-hmm. autobiography is your entire Good. life. A memoir, on the other hand, has a theme. It has a takeaway. I worked with Kathy Crawford who won the Hay House contest, um, they have a book proposal contest, and she won one of their contests. And so I worked with her on her book. Hers is about keeping secrets and how that affects you in your life, because that's something that she did. And so that was her theme. I think when you're writing a memoir, it's very helpful to have a theme because if you're not well known, if you're not a celebrity, then people can connect with the theme and then you can find readers that way. You have to stay focused because what will happen when you write a book is that you will suddenly start veering (laughs) off and writing a different one. And it will happen every time, at least once, and usually more than once. That's why I like people to have a working title and subtitle from day one. Because it serves as like their true north. So that you remind yourself, this is my topic, and I mustn't start writing another book. Because there are a lot of topics that you could... Go off on tangents on, but you can't include everything. You can't include the kitchen sink in your book
0: because people can't handle it. They'll get too confused. I really wish you were with me on my memoir. I have to say, <laughs> that was the hardest thing, I think. And I know I have a lot of people that listen that are writing memoir. And mm-hmm. please, please, please pick a theme first. Yes. And sometimes when we're writing a memoir, we think we're writing our life story we don't know where the beginning and the end is. We don't know, mm-hmm. you know, we're just writing. And it's some of that's okay. I mean, some of that's okay to write your yes. feelings and things that are going through and it will be transformative, like we said, but pick a theme or pick three themes, but don't go through it and not know what your theme is until the end. Like I did. That was mine. That was my, my thing. Yeah. I mean, I know I was writing about loss, but I didn't know I was writing about, Resistance to loss, and I mm-hmm. think that has been the big gift. I think for my mm. memoir, and that's what comes out in the in the next book uh, in a lot of ways. But anyway, I think have a theme, a <laughs>
1: the theme early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, yes, there's a certain benefit to free writing and just getting it out there on the page. And I tell people to do that because otherwise, you you spend so much time editing yourself that you. That you don't get anywhere. You can spend all yeah. day on one paragraph if you let yourself. That's right. Um, but at the same time, you do need some sort of a roadmap because otherwise you're going to spend two years just editing the thing, trying to get rid of all the stuff
0: that you don't need that you wrote
1: about that doesn't belong. That's right.
0: And you're going to be um, really attached to it.
1: Well, <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Killing your darlings is just, oh, it's excruciating.
0: Yeah. I Killing the things I um, love,
1: even though they just because they don't. They don't belong here. I love it, but it doesn't belong here. Basically what that means.
0: That's right. And I love, I don't know if you said it in the, so, so by the way, I met Melanie at the women in publishing uh, conference, which is a great conference, by the way, just Google it. And, I don't know if it was you that said to keep a kill your darlings file, but it has been really, really helpful for me. So anytime you're going through your book towards the end, you can just open up this file and drop stuff in it. So it's very, it's very, very comforting to know that it won't be lost. It doesn't know that you will go back to it. But um, I can't tell you how many things I've reused. I actually reused a scene and I dropped it into this book. So it's just amazing how you don't have to lose it, I I guess is what I'm saying. You can bring it back. And keeping those Darlings files is really, really helpful.
1: Yes, it doesn't feel so much like loss. Like you said, you know, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's a little trick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you do, you can find ways to use them often. Yeah, and it's true. You know, if you find yourself going off on a tangent, it's probably because you need to write another book on that topic. It just is. Right. current one, Perhaps.
0: Right. Because would you say that readers need focus? I feel that you have to really keep the reader in your mind as you're writing so that you keep it clean and clear for them to follow. What other tips, and and I don't want to say tricks, but tips that you would give to a writer, say, of memoir? Because I think I probably have more mm-hmm. listeners of memoir right now that are writing memoirs than anything.
1: I think it can be very hard when you're writing a memoir to be objective about what's interesting in your life and what's boring. And everybody likes a certain amount of atmospheric detail, but there's a limit, you know, yes. that you don't need to know what every leaf on the tree looks like. I remember reading, I think it was Thomas Hardy. In my college days, and it's just like, okay, three chapters on what the Heath looks like. I know it. I can see it. Let's get on with the plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to do your best to be objective about that when you're writing, not necessarily when you're writing, but when you're self editing. But I think that's one of the reasons why you absolutely need an editor. You need somebody else to look at it and say, "Mm, this part isn't all that interesting. It doesn't have a point, it needs to have a point. You need to think of your memoir really like a movie. I think actually it's very helpful for memoir writers to study screenwriting a little bit. Yeah. And to really think about it cinematically like that. Picture it and then think about what is necessary for the reader to understand the story or the point of the story. And every story should have some sort of a point to it, even if it's your life. But if you're turning your life into art, then you do have to shape it in some way so that it's palatable for other people and enjoyable for them to read and instructive.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I watched a lot of TV. I did one of those screenplay workshops and it was very, very helpful. Then after that, I couldn't unsee the structure in the things I was watching. And that was really helpful for me to think about how I would come into a scene in a chapter and go back out and then that kind of a thing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And even self-help books to some degree are like that. The beginning of every chapter I think of as the beginning of the book, just as you want the opening of a book to draw a reader in in a novel, the same with nonfiction, you need Mm -hmm. to draw them in and you want to draw them in with each subsequent chapter because you want people to finish the book. (laughs) Because when people finish a book, not only do they get the full story or the full impact of what you're teaching, but they also then tell other people about it. But if people don't finish a book, they don't usually recommend it.
0: Good point. And you actually said to put like a story in the front, like put some sort of scene in the front of each one of those chapters to draw them in, which I thought that was a really good advice.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not necessary to do that in every chapter in a self-help book, but I do think it's very helpful to start with a story because, you know, why are we all sitting in front of our televisions all the time? Because we love hearing stories. I get a lot of manuscripts to edit that start an introduction to a self-help book with, I wrote this book
0: because... (laughs) You lost me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm already <laughs> bored. I don't want to read anymore. <laughs> yeah, I get why that happens. I think that the more that you can think of the reader, right? What do they want?
1: Yes. I mean, I think when you're writing a memoir, maybe the first draft is for you. Still, you don't want to veer off so much that, like I said, you've got 200 pages that you've got to edit out before it's done. But I think in your first edit, you have to really start thinking more and more about the reader and how it's going to land on somebody who doesn't know you and what the value of the story is for them. Just in terms of story value, they're reading it like a novel, like a lot of people do with memoirs. They read it that way or whether they're learning something from what you experienced or both. But yeah, I think you have to start really thinking about that and Sit down with other memoirs and really look at what they did. Don't just read it for fun. You know, because when you just read it for fun, you don't notice. Like you said, when you were suddenly watching TV, you couldn't unsee the structure, right? Mm -hmm. The same thing will happen if you start reading memoirs that way and looking at what they did. How did they start the memoir? Did they start from a very early part of their life and go consecutively? Do they go back and forth in time? My favorite technique with memoirs is to start with something that's pivotal in the book, maybe not finish it, but start with something that's really dramatic and impactful. And then maybe go back to the beginning, go chronological. And then at the end, come back to that first story. That's sort of the the crux of the theme of the book, perhaps. Yeah, Um, I love that. That to me is a structure that people can pull off really easily. I think it's very hard to go back and forth in time. Mm-hmm. And, and keep readers knowing where you are, that gets yeah. very, very difficult to do. But you do have to think about what's that opening story going to be if you're starting from a place that isn't very dramatic and you have to go through a lot of exposition before you get to anything that's dramatic. Are they going to stay with you? Right. I mean, if you're Julia Roberts, you can get away with that, right? Because <laughs> they're already invested in you.
0: But if and I you know aren't.
1: Julia Roberts. You have to use something to get people interested in who you are and what you're telling.
0: Yeah. And I think somebody told me once to put the hero or heroine in trouble immediately in the worst peril possible and then start. (laughs) Exactly. And if you watch a lot of movies, they do exactly Mm -hmm. that. They do that. Especially
1: the ones that have narrators that use the narration. And if you watch movies that use narration, that's really helpful for memoir because Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a memoir especially if it's the protagonist who's talking and not somebody else observing the protagonist. Uh, But if you watch movies that use that structure, it's very helpful for memoir because it's very similar.
0: It is. Have you seen the types of books that are published change over time? I mean, I think we went, is there any trends that you're seeing today that people should be aware of?
1: Well, I don't want to be a downer. (laughs) It's a little disheartening right now because publishers are risk averse. Mm -hmm. So, It's difficult these days for someone without a big platform, which means that you have 50,000 or more followers on your social media or some way to get to hundreds thousands of people. If you don't have that, it can be very, very difficult for publishers to take a chance because they just can't keep their businesses afloat unless they Mm -hmm. know that books are going to sell. And the self-help space especially has become quite saturated. So you really have to try to come up with some fresh idea. And in a way, it's not that what's inside the book needs to be different. You can still talk about negative beliefs. You can still talk about, because healing is healing. Mm -hmm. It's all the same stuff. We have to heal our trauma, right? We have to get rid of the negative beliefs. We have to reshape our stories. As you said, Mm -hmm. it's the same old, same old, but we all have to hear it a hundred thousand times before it sinks in and before we get it and before we do it. But the hook of your book that we talk about all the time, Mm -hmm. the way that you structure it has to be something a little fun, a little different. I worked with somebody. We had what we thought was a great concept. Her agent loved it. Publishers wouldn't buy it. So then she met with a branding person. They came up with something else. Publishers still wouldn't buy it. Then she met with somebody else. She came up with another concept. She sold it. What was inside the book other than restructuring was no different.
0: Yeah. It's the
1: package.
0: Yep. And did she have a platform? She probably did, right? She had a
1: decent platform, yeah.
0: Yep. That um, makes the difference.
1: But even with the platform, until she found the right packaging for the book, she still couldn't get a publisher to go for it. You know. Yeah. I mean it's so- a tough
0: it's a tough industry now. It it just is, I think, for, it for is. publishers.
1: It is. That's why I love the fact. I mean, we could spend a whole half an hour talking about Amazon's pros and cons, but it did make self-publishing more viable in the Mm -hmm. industry. And there's a lot that's good about that because Mm -hmm. it allows people to have their voice. And I think it's even more important when you're self-publishing to get a good editor, get a good cover, all of that, because you won't have a publishing house to help you with creating that quality. For that reason, I think in the self-help space, especially things have changed and you do have to kind of be, I hate the word fresh, but you kind of have to come up with fresh. Because when I used to write for women's magazines, it was always like, we need something
0: fresh. And I was like, what does that mean? because we're telling the same old stories we can relate to stories yeah we can relate to stories I mean Rumi is still fresh like come on (laughs) like
1: right (laughs) right I mean could Rumi be any fresher I mean (laughs) but it does come down to that I think more than anything
0: I think that's very fair and I think the writing is for the writing, right? It's, it's, it's what you get out of it to a certain extent. And like you said earlier, is what gift you want to give to the reader or what you hope the reader is able to take away for their own journey. And, and you need to not worry about the other stuff. I think it's the writing. At least that's how I, I kind of I kind of do it myself.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a balance that you try to achieve between writing for you and writing for the reader. And Most people I know are able to do both of those things.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's a form of connection. Yeah. For all of us introverts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's It's funny how. It's a helpful way to connect with people if you're an introvert. Yeah. It is. There's a lot of things I write that I don't say out loud. I think that it has been a really powerful way for me to express those things in the way that I feel most comfortable doing it sometimes. So anyway, it's been really mm. helpful for me in that respect. Yeah,
1: I can see that. I'm not an introvert. So sometimes it's interesting <laughs> for me to, to hear the experience for intro, uh, introverts. Uh, somebody said, I'm I'm one of the few ghostwriters who was not an introvert. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. <laughs> it's what it is, you know. <laughs> I guess <get to, laughs> it tends to attract introverts, <laughs> this profession.
0: Like I said, it's a, it's a way to express the the things that are in our mind in a way mm-hmm. that we're comfortable with. So there's definitely been changes in technology too. Uh, oh, yeah. Any thoughts about that? You know, we, we certainly have turn AI coming on the forefront. And I, I heard Joanna Penn, who's a big self-publishing podcaster, and talk about it. And she's like, you have to double down on our personal interaction with readers now. And maybe she's actually veering away from self-help a bit or tutorial or training because generative AI will do a lot of that for us. I, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that or you know where you're seeing it pop up.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of talk about it amongst writers. And I oh, I've worked with chat GPT a little bit just for grins just to check it out. I don't know about most of the other ones that are coming out, but I haven't seen anything very impressive so far. I tried doing research once with, with it and it gave me really old studies. I mean, if I Googled, I came, I came up with things that were recent right on the first page that I did yeah. get from AI. And I've also tried it for there's a particular, there is one particular type of AI that helps you with titles, with book titles mm-hmm. and things. And I, I tried that a couple of times. It does help spark ideas, mm-hmm. but I've never gotten a usable title from it. Mm-hmm. I've only used it for brainstorming something else. It will give you some ideas that you can tinker with. So in that respect, perhaps it has some benefit, but I really caution people from using it for writing anything. hmm And certainly if you do, you need to edit it like crazy because these AI is plagiarism as far as I'm concerned. They are stealing from what the rest of us have written Mm -hmm. and putting things together from that. So as far as writing
0: with AI, I don't condone it. No, I get it. I found it very helpful for idea spark, like you said, like for marketing, I think it's helpful for marketing. I think that's it's a, it's a good use case for it. I see it as a little bit more of an assistant to help mm-hmm. me. But yeah, I take your point. I mean, the New York Times certainly is suing now to get their information <laughs> paid for. They had a, a relationship with Microsoft, from my understanding, but they didn't have it with OpenAI. So. And they're going to get it because it's too expensive for, for them to pull everything back out. They're going to get what they want.
1: I think it has a lot of benefits. The problem is, is that it's going to be terribly abused. Mm -hmm. Actors had to take a stand Mm -hmm. and go on strike for months over it. I'm very concerned about images and how people can create a video that looks like somebody said something when they didn't.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a real, I think that's a real concern. Yeah. I heard somebody today, actually, I think it's Joanna Penn, I think she was saying to her grandmother or her mother, uh, if I, if you get a video from me saying to give you checking account information, don't do it. Yeah. And I thought that, I thought that was frightening.
1: <laughs> I know somebody that that happened to you. Somebody got her aunt's voice and phoned her
0: mm-hmm.
1: asking for money. Yeah. It's a, a bit of a scary time. And I think a lot of people... Are not discerning like I see people on. I don't want to go off on another tangent, but I see people on yeah. social media believing these photographs that are so obviously not real, but they yeah. think they are. I had somebody argue with me that a kitten the size of a thumb was real.
0: No, <laughs> we could go into we could go into social media too. Not there's nothing wrong with it, but we could go. We could spend a lot of time there too. That's I a know, whole right? tangent. Is there anything that you'd really want to share that I missed? I don't think so. I think we covered it
1: all pretty well. I guess I just encourage people if they feel that itch to write a book, to do it. I feel like if you feel the itch, it means you're supposed to, and you need to do it. And if you can afford to hire a book coach to hold your hand through it, that's very helpful to start to hire somebody at the beginning to help you. Because if you wait until after the fact, a lot of things may have to be changed. And that can be hard
0: to deal with. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good advice as a person who, <laughs> who did not do that for my <laughs> first one. I don't regret any of that journey, but it could have been a year less. It could have been, yeah, could have been easier, right? <laughs> Faster than yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to thank you so much for all of your help, certainly with my writing efforts, but also for being here and sharing your knowledge. And there will be information if anybody's interested in hiring Melanie or contacting her to see if she's available in the show notes. I do want to say thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. That's all for today. If you want to learn more about Melanie's work, all of her links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. And if it was, please subscribe, drop a review or share it with your friends and family. That's the best way to get it in the hands of those who may benefit. And if my daughters Sienna and Sylvia are listening, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. And I love you so much. Bye now.